Well, welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan. Joining me, as always, is Brad Hallier. And of course, we're going to start off tonight, Brad. You have to with this is the lead up to Super Bowl Sunday, where the Chiefs and 49ers will get it on this Sunday to decide Super Bowl 58. Will the the dynasty continue for the Chiefs with uh, their third Super Bowl victory? Here in the last five years, or will the 49ers add to their total of Super Bowls, which I believe, would this be their sixth or seventh? I've lost track now. Of- uh, it would be their sixth title. They won four with Montana and then one with Steve Young. That's what I was thinking. So a uh, lot of headlines uh, going into this, Brad. I think let's let's talk about who is and may not play for the Chiefs. I think the two biggest ones that I've been kind of watching, obviously Joe Tooney on the offensive line, and we know uh, Aminahue will not play on the defensive line. Uh, We're getting a lot of positive vibes that Jarek McKinnon um, is going to be able to play. That gives you depth in the backfield, gives you an outstanding receiver out of the backfield. Uh, And blocker. And blocker, he's a good blocker too. Um, give Pacheco a little bit of rest, maybe on third downs. Um, I like that. I think the rest, of everybody else, I think is supposed to play. Um, I think there's always going to be nicks and bruises this time of year. But how do you feel about the Chiefs as a whole, injury-wise, going into this game? Well, when I heard that Willie Gay was expected to, you know, be a full participant, you know, not just for the game but the entire week ahead. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, but he's been a he's been a full participant all throughout practice. So uh, that's that that's big right there. I mean, that's absolutely huge to have a player of his caliber who didn't play in the AFC Championship game. So now you've got someone, and you know Brock Purdy's not a bad runner, but now you've got someone who can conceivably fill the gaps and hopefully try to neutralize Christian McCaffrey. Uh, very few uh, running or very few linebackers out there as good as Willie Gay. Absolutely. I, mean, uh, I knew he was expected to play. That's why I hadn't singled him out. But that that is huge um, for that defense. Um, and you look, I don't know, San Francisco, I think, overall pretty healthy. I haven't seen um, any major um, misses for them this week either. No, they seem to be pretty healthy. I mean, most most teams, all things considered, I think are pretty healthy. I think, obviously, the biggest one for the Chiefs is probably Joe Tooney. Although, uh, oh, how do you say his name? Nick uh, 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 <laughs> Algretti or something like that. Uh, he played, played, well. Ver- played very well against the Ravens. And he knows this offense. He's been a part of it. Uh, for, for, for a backup offensive lineman, you can do much worse. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if that's the way they have to go and the way it's sounding – at least what what I've heard Wednesday now into Thursday is Tooney is a long shot right now to play. I think they've I think they list him as questionable. And most times you see people that are questionable um, end up playing and maybe he'll try to go. But uh, I guess if, if, you, if you have a, a 50 to 75 percent Joe Tooney or 100 percent Nick Allegretti, um, I, I think you go with Allegretti in that situation. You might try Tooney, but if you can see he's limited, the 49ers would know he's limited, then you might have to make the change. But um, I, I don't feel bad about that if, if, if Allegretti has to go because he, he's played well most of the season. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you like to have Tooney uh, ready to go. But at the same time, 
you're protecting your most valuable asset. Uh, you want to have, you know, players that are ready and, you know, capable of, of uh, protecting your number one asset. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of times people, when they're prognosticating for a Super Bowl, you, you look at um, the coach, you look at the quarterback. Um, right off the top of my head, uh, I give that nod certainly to, in both instances to the Chiefs. Yeah, uh, you know, Shanahan, I think, is has proven himself as, you know, he's, he's one of the top coaches, I think, in the NFL. I, I would put him over John Harbaugh, even though Harbaugh's won himself a Super Bowl. But uh, I, I, I think that uh, Shanahan, and I'm saying this uh, as someone who actually, bull take here, actually thinks that Mike Shanahan was an overrated coach. But I think Kyle's actually a pretty good coach. Uh, he's kind of grown on me. I really didn't think very much of him at first. But uh, his teams are pretty darn consistent, Scott. I mean, they're they're always there. And considering that he... I'm not really ready to put Brock Purdy in that upper echelon yet. Obviously, if he can get a win on Sunday, you can maybe start talking about that. But, I mean, he's gone to a Super Bowl with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and now Mr. Irrelevant. So that that says pretty pretty good things. But you're also talking about a, you know, an Andy Reid, an Andy Reed, a guy who's been, you know, now to his fourth Super Bowl in Kansas City, fifth overall with one in Philadelphia, constantly in the conference championship games, both at Philadelphia and Kansas City. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, you know, and, and, you know, I've seen some people say that a lot of pressure on Mahomes this weekend. But once again, I'm kind of thinking that some of the a lot of that pressure is more on the 49ers, because once again, you know, you had your crack at the Chiefs. You blew a, a what, a 10 point fourth quarter lead or was it an 11 point fourth quarter lead. Regardless, it was a big lead in the fourth quarter and or a double digit lead. But if the once again, if you're the 49ers. If you can't get it done this year, you have to start asking, when are you going to get it done? Yeah, and, and I would be devil's advocate there, Brad. Some could argue that Kyle Shanahan has lost two Super Bowls for his team. He was heavily criticized for his play calling in that fourth quarter uh, against the Chiefs. Uh, conservative and then throwing it in odd situations to instead of using clock in the fourth quarter. And certainly certainly needs to shoulder a lot of the blame for the biggest choke job ever, the Falcons um, losing to the Patriots that year, that huge lead that they had. Um, I think a lot of pressure on Kyle Shanahan to kind of get redemption from um, a couple of previous Super Bowl appearances, one as head coach, one as offensive coordinator. Yeah, there's probably a lot of truth in, in that. Um, once again, I mean, is the, the, I like what Patrick Mahomes has been saying a lot about the Super Bowl. You know, he, he seems like he really gets it that, you know, you, you can't take it for granted. You don't know if you're ever going to get there. And when you do get there, you don't know if you're ever going to get back. I mean, that's 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 God's honest truth. I mean, there, there's no bigger poster boy for that than Dan, than what Dan Marino, yeah. uh, Brett Favre and uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, we all they all went to Super Bowls when they were young and we just thought that they were going to make it a habit. And it just never worked out where they were Tom Brady or Joe Montana or, you know, someone like that or even John Elway. So it, it, it's hard to get to one. It's harder to win one. And so, you know, if the 49ers don't do it this year with, with this, uh, with, with this group, when's it going to happen? I, yeah, I, I do. I think there's, I think there's more pressure because they are the favorite in this game as well. And I think the chiefs love it being the underdog. Once again, I, I do think there's, there's more pressure. I think, um, 
I don't know if you had to put percentages on it, probably 55, 60% of people feel like the 49ers are going to win this game. Probably the other 40, 45% think the Chiefs are. Um, what do you feel like is the biggest matchup um, in this, whether it's special teams, Chiefs offense versus 49ers defense? What do you think the biggest matchup and key is uh, for the Chiefs to come out on top? Well, the right, if I remember this correctly, the right side of the 49ers offensive line, including the center, were 30th yeah. in, in pass protection this season uh, with everybody's right side of the offensive line, including the center, right? And that's going to be the side that Chris Jones and George Karloftis are on. So, you know, where the 49ers change their pass protection, maybe have the running back block a little bit, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's possible. I think the key for the for the Chiefs will be that will be on that side of the line. You know, how much will the 49ers run? And I mean, we'll, we'll I think we'll definitely see a heavy dose of Christian McCaffrey. But, you know, at some point, Brock Purdy's not the pass, too. I mean, he's not going to be, you know, four for five or anything like that. I mean, he's going to throw 20, 25, 30 times at least. And I think that's going to be the big thing right there. And if the Chiefs get ahead, then you, of course, then you're going to have to have Purdy throw. And I think that that right side of the line is is, is crucial because if the Chiefs can really rattle Brock Purdy, I don't think they have much of a chance. Yeah, I, it's key, especially if you could force him into an early turnover, a, a misread um, where he throws it right to a defender or doesn't see a defender dropping. Um, into coverage or a strip sack, something like that to kind of kind of get him shook up a little bit, I think is key. Uh, and then I think too, for the chiefs offensively, obviously they've had, uh, had a great first half against the Ravens, um, put all their points on the board um, there in the first half. Uh, I think it's the run game. I think they've got to establish uh, Pacheco or McKinnon or, or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think all very capable. Um, get some runs going early to where you're not sitting there and, uh, you know, second and nine, third and eight, where, you know, Mahomes has got to do what he's got to do. Obviously, we feel like he can, and that offense has been much better. But I think that the run game is going gonna, is gonna to be huge and see how much the 49ers it, – it sounds strange, Brad, but will, will the 40, you think the 49ers defense will key on the run and obviously, uh, Kelsey, but uh, focus more on stopping the run and making Mahomes pass, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, they've actually have not been good against the run this year. Uh, and as a matter of fact, some 49er fans that I know are saying that the kind of running back that Pacheco is, is the exact kind of running back that they have struggled with. Kind of the hard-nosed, never-go-down kind of guy. You know, not overly fast, but sees the holes well, hits the holes hard, and doesn't go down. And, uh, you know, I've seen a couple 49ers fans who – or fans who have said, you know, it's bad enough worrying about Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, but they're really worried about Pacheco. And, Scott, I'll even go out on a limb here. My hot take right now is that Pacheco gets MVP. Oh, boy. If it, well, obviously, if the MVP is going to come to to somebody on the winning team. But if, if Pacheco has a, a big game, I, I absolutely think um, the Chiefs are going to win this uh, game. I, I think it's going to be a great game. And, again, the, the way this Chiefs team is built – um, where, where would you put the over under on um, the amount of points the Chiefs need to score or more importantly, maybe that they can afford to give up? You know, it's kind of funny you say that because pretty much at halftime of every game I watch of the Chiefs and even the Jayhawks, I, I will set like a magic number. Like if, if the Chiefs 
can get to this point total, or if they're down, if they can hold the t- their opponents to this point total, they'll win. I, yeah, honestly, Scott, I think 21 is the magic number for a la- for points allowed. I think if the Chiefs hold the 49ers to 21 points or fewer, fewer they win. Yeah, I had 20 in my head while you were thinking of that. I, I, I do. I, th- I think they can put up 21, 24. Um, I don't think this deep. I think this is a good. 49ers defense, it's not as good as the Ravens defense. And we know that the Chiefs kind of shifted gears a little bit. And I hate using the word conservative, but they certainly were in more conservative in the second half when they had the lead against the Ravens. But I do think that I think I'm right with you on that magic number. So ultimately, before we uh, switch topics, uh, do you you feel like the Chiefs are going to win this game? I do. I, I, I do. And, you know, because it's a Super Bowl, I'll probably say a closer score. But, you know, I we like to think we've got feelings about these kind of things, Scott. And I had a funny feeling that the Chiefs are going to beat the Bills. You know, I just thought, you know what? I just think they're, they're you know, all the pressure's on Buffalo that they win this one. Baltimore, I wasn't really sure about. I was kind of 50-50 on that game. And, and you know, I thought we were going to also going to curb stomp the, the Dolphins. I was like, they're, they're going to freeze in this weather. <laughs> I've actually got kind of a feeling that the Chiefs may win this one going away. My prediction, though, won't be that. I'm going to say 27 to 19 Chiefs. 27 19 Chiefs. Obviously, my, my outlook's changed uh, uh, however much percentage you want to put above 100 um, from the way they ended the regular season to where they have played in the playoffs. <laughs> I, I mean, I gave them, Brad, I gave them literally no chance to be in this situation. Um, on Super Bowl Sunday to be back there the way they were playing the last third of the season or quarter of the season they just they look dead in the water and the, and the way that they have held together and got to this point it feels like they're going to finish the deal well, I'd be shocked at the 49ers win of course I won't but I'm, I'm going to go a little tighter and I think they get to the 21 points and, and hold the 49ers to 17. Oh that Works for me. I mean, heck, Scott. Right now, I'll take a, I take I would take a five to three snooze fest if the Chiefs win. I'd, I'd take three nothing because uh, <laughs> they they've got a Butker has uh, kicked extremely well this year. If it comes down to that, you, you got to feel good. But it should be uh, fantastic. Did you see the bringing the Clydesdales back for the commercials this year? No, I didn't. Yeah, they, I saw a, a quick little clip. Uh, you know, it was just a few seconds, but yeah, they'll have the. Uh, the Clydesdales will be back. That should be a lot of fun. I know that was a huge, uh, huge draw. I don't know if they'll be playing football or what they're going to be doing this year, but uh, again, that'll be, it's that odd kickoff time. What is it? 531 or 532 or some strange like that. A little after 530. Yeah. After that. So uh, we'll be sure we'll be back to, to break that all down. Um, Hopefully we're talking about a, third Super Bowl championship in five years for the Chiefs. Well, Brad, what about the other team in the parking lot in Kansas City right now? The Kansas City Royals, Brad, getting a lot of buzz. And a lot of that, Brad, this shocked me because they just have never done it. But they've done it this time. Bobby Witt, 11-year, $288.7 million contract extension i i just never dreamed i would see the day where they would take one of their young talents because for years and years we've seen them 
exit stage left to the big markets when that first contract was up, you know, the, the Damons, the Beltrans, you just, just insert the name. This is kind of the past, the George Brett era since then, all these guys have been allowed to leave town. They lock him up. And, and the way I understand it, Brad, he, he could be out of there a little earlier or that actually could get extended with more money. I'm, I don't want to get into the details. Those are kind of mind boggling. Um, but it sounds like they've got him for at least seven or eight years. I think there's some one-year kind of situations that could prop up there. But uh, I got to give it to the Royals. I, I didn't think it would happen. I, I, I'm certainly pleased that this has happened, that they locked him up. Yeah, uh, look, uh, before this happened, I think the Royals were one of four Major League Baseball teams who had never done a $100 million contract. And, well, they blew that out of the water. And... My brother had asked me, you know, is, is it worth it? And I said, honestly, I think Bobby Witt's a generational talent. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to be George Brett. I'm not even going to say that he's going to be I, – I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he could conceivably be the second-best player in Royals history when it's all said and done. I mean, we'll just have to wait and see, obviously. But more than that, though, I think this is definitely – a big PR boost for the Royals. You know, they've been really stinking it up on the field. They made some good offseason moves, obviously. And now they're talking about maybe raising Kauffman Stadium and moving downtown or to the Northland or even across the state line or whatever. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want them to move. I think it's pretty obvious the Royals are going to move downtown or somewhere else away from Truman Sports Complex. And I think this is something that essentially what ownership is saying we're going to invest into the team. Now I, want, now I want to see the community invest into us. And that, and you know what? Th- there's nothing wrong with doing that. Absolutely. Um, what do you think? You mentioned some of them. I, I've seen they've been popping up a lot on the, the, you know, the baseball tonight and those guys that are really in the know, breaking it down. A lot of them feel like as, as bad as the AL Central has been and appears that it's going to be this year, Um, None of the other teams they feel like have done a lot to upgrade that they feel like the Royals can be in the thick of the central this year. I I like the two Padre pitcher uh, was Lugo and uh, Waka that they added this. um, I'm going to say the wrong last name. Is it is it Hagen? Um, They've got they've got a lefty that they really like as well. Brady Singer. Um, He had a a little bit of an off year last year, but he could be in the rotation. Some of the free agent bats um, they've added. Pascatino is healthy. A lot of guys are really high on him. Um, are, are, they, are they setting me up for the fall? I guess is what I want to ask you. Are they getting me a little bit excited for a, a hundred loss team? Well, I mean, the, the, the Twins won, won the division last year with 87 wins. It was the fewest in, in Major League Baseball. and But they still won by nine games. So And they finished 31 ahead of the Royals. Now, incredibly, the White Sox lost 101 games, and they weren't even in last, and they weren't even close to in last. So, yeah, the Central isn't a great division. But, you know, I mean, the, the Twins still won. Uh, their, their nine-game uh, win in the division or in division championship margin was the most in the American League by far. Uh, there's a tie in the AL West between the Astros and the Rangers and, and the Orioles won by two games. So the the, the Twins, and if we're just talking about the American League, uh, the, 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 the Pack's got a lot of work to do right now. I'm not going to say that the Royals are going to, you know, be in, in playoff contention this year, but they at, at least it feels like that they're trying to make the right moves. 
I think it's first of all they they've got to improve on you know the win loss. I mean, all all this doesn't matter unless they start winning some games. And I, you you may not like this, but I think if the Royals can first of all avoid a hundred losses, and two if they can get to seventy wins, I think that would be a reasonable uh, climb this year. Yeah, I think they said to win the division and they were using, I think what the, the twins won, they would have to improve by 32 games in one season. And I think they went back. I don't know how far they went back, but I think they said that's been done once. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, the, probably like in 1920 or something like no, that too. Actually pretty recently. I forget who it was. Oh, wow. Um, it seemed like it was back in 18 or somewhere like that, but um, yeah. So I, I think that's where I would caution people and myself to, to win the division. Um, they would have to improve by 32 games. Um, what they've added, if it all came together, is it possible? I'd say maybe yes, but um We'll get into more, but yeah, pitchers and catchers reporting here any day. It's going to be spring training pretty soon, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the Royals can do, and hopefully, get off to a better start. That's what's killed them, you know. Your high expectations when April starts, and by by June they're out of the race. So uh, maybe they can get off to a better start. Uh, before we leave uh, the baseball biz, Brad, let me. Let me give you some. Uh, here's an argument. I saw somebody said the other day um, they feel like Nolan Ryan might have been the best pitcher ever in baseball history. Now, certainly, would you agree or disagree with that? A lot of walks. Uh, I, I would say he was the most, definitely probably the most intimidating pitcher in Major League Baseball history. Uh, maybe the hardest to hit in Major League Baseball history. <laughs> Uh, best? Oh, gosh. I, I'd have to think about that. Uh, I guess you could make an argument. Well, here was the argument they made, Brad. 5,714 strikeouts. Yep. He had 388 in one in a season. Yep. He had 300-plus strikeouts six times, 200 strikeouts plus 15 times, seven no-hitters, 12 one hitters, 18 two hitters, 32 three hitters. Pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable numbers that we'll never see again. Uh, there, there, there's no way. There, there's just <laughs> no way. I, I guess I'm, I'm not ready to acclaim, you know, everybody knows, listen to the podcast, you know, we both, both of us love Nolan Ryan. I don't think he was the, the best ever, but I would say this if you took, whoever you would stack up there as your top five, top 10 all time best pitchers. I don't know that there was anybody better when he was, when he was on top of his game, forget it. I think he was the most unhittable pitcher when he was on top of his game over whoever you want to put in there, Musial or whoever, or even Randy Johnson, whoever you'd put as your top five or 10. I would, I would say that when he was on top of his game, he was the most unhittable pitcher that I have ever seen. Yeah, I think unhittable might have been the word I was looking for there. That absolutely would be a good word uh, to describe Nolan Ryan. Yeah, so and we'll, I had to get in my baseball uh, stat for the week that come across that one. Well, let's jump into uh, a lot of basketball conversation here, Brad. Let's, uh, let's go first with the Jayhawks, which their roller coaster of a season as far as the Big 12 season goes continues this last week is that 
huge, huge game in Allen Fieldhouse last Saturday against number four Houston. Really, Brad, that was a that was a little bit of a beatdown. I know it was just 13 points, but KU led by as many as 20 in that game. Just seemed never really threatened in the second half. Uh, just dominated that game, and then kind of a perfect storm as far as scheduling. Go to Manhattan. Two days later on Monday, lose in overtime a game that shouldn't have lost. And it's really their third conference road loss with UCF, West Virginia, now K-State. K-State, the best of those three teams, but probably at best right now, a bubble team as far as the tournament's concerned. So that inconsistency of KU still really, really stands out to me after that huge win against Houston. Yeah, I mean, they, they took Houston to the woodshed. I mean, like you said, it was the final margin was the, there are two kinds of 13 point wins, Scott. There's a 13 point win where you're up by six in the final minute and you just hit a bunch of free throws. Then you had the, the, the 13 point game where, you know, you're up by 20 uh, at one point. I think maybe they got down to nine at one point with like maybe two and a half minutes left or something like that. But, you know, okay, he was never in danger of losing that game, but just inexplicable loss on Monday to, to, to Kansas State, who, frankly, outworked KU in that game. That's probably the most disappointing thing is that K-State just uh, outworked KU in that game. And, you know, Johnny Furphy had his first game as a, as a starter where he struggled. He, he was he was going to – he's going to have nights like that. I mean, he's been so darn good that you knew it was going ha- to happen eventually. You know, right now, I, I, I just don't know what – you know, I know that Dickinson – and Kevin McCuller are a little banged up right now. They they both have a, a, a knee injury that they're they both are dealing with. How much is that slowing them down? I don't know. You know, Dickinson still went for twenty one and twelve. He's not able to shoot threes right now. It's 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 just puzzling because in both the get, losses to K State and UCF, KU had double digit lead in that game. And I think in both cases, that double digit lead like evaporated almost instantly. Uh, West Virginia just, you know, they just shot crazy lights out. And once again, you know, K-State, not a great three-point shooting team. They 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 don't make a lot, and they seem – I think they do – I think they average like seven makes a game and shoot like 32%. And, you know, they, they, they were about 35%, and they made nine. And so they were a little bit over what they usually do. But um, it, it was just overall just <laughs> – puzzling is just what's going on with this team this year i mean i i asked the question you know if, if they can't win these road games that they've lost who are they going to beat on the road well i'm looking at their schedule um boy another brutal one at home on saturday five o'clock game number 13 baylor and here it is again brad they turn around play on monday at number 23 texas tech i mean that's just a it continues to be a recipe for disaster for this team. I mean, it's it's the Big 12. It's what it is. I mean, you're going to have even the middle-of-the-pack teams um, are, are really good basketball teams. You know, they have to, you know, back-to-back road games after Texas Tech. Then they go to Saturday and play uh, Oklahoma on the road, which will not be a, an easy game before, strangely enough, getting a week off before they host Texas. Um, but it just, yeah. It continues, and they host BYU. Then they have to go to Baylor and host K State, and then they have to go back to Houston. I mean, the the answer to your question, Brad. It, well, it it better be Oklahoma if if they're going to get a road. Don't you think that's the most likely of any of those road games left 
Oklahoma, Baylor, or Houston, or Texas Tech? Isn't Oklahoma the most likely one that you've got to get? I'd probably say yes, just for the only reason they got a few days off before they play that game. You know, like you said, they turn around and play Tech almost immediately after playing what's probably going to be a tough game against Baylor. And, you know, Houston's going to be licking their chops for KU to come to town after the beatdown that KU gave them. Uh, Baylor, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll be tough. I mean, it's KU, doesn't, you know, Baylor's obviously they won a national championship not long ago. I don't know. I, I really don't. I mean, if KU can somehow steal half of those road games and win the rest of their home games, that'll be 12 and six. Probably won't be good enough to win the Big 12 or share it or anything like that. But um, considering where they're at right now, I think I would probably take it. What? Well, I'm, I'm thinking if you could get Texas Tech and Oklahoma, um, that would be huge if you could get those two wins on the road. But yeah, the. What do you feel is the most inconsistent thing with this team, Brad? Is it certainly their outside shooting, the consistency of hit, I know they're capable of, but the consistency of hitting an outside shot, especially a three when they really have to have them. Yeah, KU doesn't take a lot of three pointers and they don't make a lot of three pointers. Now, their percentage is actually pretty decent. I think before Monday, it was like 60th nationally. So, but they're again, the, 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 the volume of makes and attempts is somewhere in the 300s. So they just don't take that many. And, you know, Dickinson, I think is like one for his last 17 from three after starting the season really hot from there. Harris isn't a bad three point shooter. He just doesn't take that many. I mean, really other than Furphy and McCuller, you really don't have anybody who's going to take a volume of three pointers. And frankly, you know, one of those guys was supposed to be Nick Timberlake, who's just hasn't really panned out this year, which is really disappointing. And, I said Dickinson can hit the three, uh, but if you're hoping that Hunter Dickinson has a four for seven three point game, it's not going to happen. It's just he's seven two. He needs to be he needs to be near the basket. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting team. Obviously, uh, on a given night on a neutral floor, they can beat anybody um, in the country. They've they've proven that uh, Tennessee on you got UConn, who's been number one this year on their home. Got him in Lawrence, of course, but certainly the, the talent's there. And again, um, they've got a month to kind of put it together here as you get into the uh, Big 12 tournament in the first part of March and then the big dance. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. It, I think that we're going to have to wait and see. It's a work in progress and how good the Jayhawks will ultimately be um, come March this season. Well, one team, Brad, I know is really good is your uh, your beloved Hutch Lady Blue Dragons, Rad, they just continue to roll, just murdered Pratt on the road and just the other night. 22-0, and 0, ranked number two in the country. And, uh, you know, the, the men are right there in the thick of things as well. Um, that's got to be – I'm really looking forward to seeing those teams come Region 6 tournament time. But that, that um, Hutch women's team, that's got to be a fun team to watch. Yeah, number one lost the other day too. So it's a, it's possible that the Blue Dragons could be number one next week in the country. Which, gosh, Scott, I have to go back, but I am not entirely sure they are ranked when the season started. Wow. I mean, you know, and you know what? Last year they they didn't win the conference. They bombed out in the first round of regionals. They didn't even make it to the to the to the quarterfinal round. So, uh, you know, somewhat understanding that. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to go back here, but you know, they got Kiki Smith, who's really good. 
very good freshman shooter guard. Uh, Monet Duffy, I, 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 so I had her in class last year. I told her I was going to get her a bottle of Windex. So I've never seen anybody clean the glass like she does. I mean, she's like the the JUCO uh, women's basketball version of Dennis Rodman out there. I mean, she just is just a remarkable rebounder. And yeah, you know, and of course, you know, they got John Anches, the coach, who's been there, done that. He's been to three national championship games, four Final Fours. So there's, you know, he's definitely someone that has the expectations every year. And I'm going to bring up their preseason rankings here. Here they are and see where they were in preseason. And uh, lo and behold, Scott, they were unranked. Unranked and now number two. In un- own, and did you say the only undefeated team left in in Division One? The only undefeated team in Division One. yep. Wow. Wow. Is uh, looking at their schedule any any uh, hiccups possible in there before they get to the Region Six tournament? Oh yeah, yeah. They got Barton and Butler still coming up. Uh, I think Cowley gave them a pretty decent game the first time around. Um, Coffeeville's not a bad team either. They've already swept Dodge City, who's in second. Uh, Hutch is sixteen and zero. Dodge is fourteen and three. So Hutch has a, a three game lead in the loss column there, and they've also swept Dodge City. Uh, so really, Butler, Barton, I would maybe say Coffeeville. They're, they're eleven and six. So yeah, the, the middle of the pack is pretty good. It's, it's probably as strong as it's been with Coffeeville, Seward, and Cloud. None of them are going to make it to the national tournament. But uh, you know, teams like Butler and Barton. I mean, they're they're trying to scrap right now, trying to improve their you know uh, their, their resume in case they don't win Region Six uh, to try to get out and at large. I mean, right now, I think Hutch is in pretty good shape. I would say. For the most part, Dodge City is in pretty good shape as well To if they don't win Region 6 to make it to the national tournament. But, um, you know, Butler and Barton, if they can find out a way to knock off Hutch, that would, that would be quite the feather in their cap, wouldn't it? It absolutely would be. Um, now, refresh my memory, where is the national tournament this year? Is it still in Texas or is it this year it's moved? No, it's, in, it's still in Lubbock. Okay. I think this is the last year it's in Lubbock. And then, I, could, I could be wrong, but I think it is. Then it's going up north, isn't it? I think uh, Council Bluffs, maybe Iowa. That could be right. I, I remember hearing it because we were very disappointed. We thought Kansas might get it back and didn't, um, but I knew it went north, so I, I didn't know when that took effect. Um, so we, we we do know the the men's tournament obviously going to be in Hutch. How are the how are the Hutch men faring right now to to try to to sneak into that tournament? Well, they're frankly they're. It's it's kind of funny to say this, Scott. They've almost flown under the radar this year. They're nineteen and three, fourteen and two. They're in alone in they're right now alone in third place. They're a half game behind Cali for second and a game and a half Barton for first. They still have to play Barton. They still have to play Cali. Uh, fourth place Butler's still out there, so they got some pretty tough games coming up ahead. But it just feels like they're almost flying under under the radar right now. That you know, you know, a lot of people are talking about the women's team and for good reason. They're undefeated. Uh, and last year, you know, the men's team didn't have a great ending to their season. They fin- I don't think they even got to 20 wins last year. But, man, they're, they're, they're just winning right now. That's all they're doing. Oh, and, I, and you know they love that flying under the radar thing. And, boy, what I – continually we've pointed this out before, Brad, and it could be – I don't know that it would be a factor wherever the Hutch women play. I think they are certainly going to be the heavy favorite to win Region 6 – but if the Hutch men can get to the semifinals, we'll remind everybody where that tournament is this year, one year only, but it's at the sports arena. That that could be monster. If if they if they go into that tournament on a roll, Brad, I, I'd say that they would certainly be 
I don't know if you'd even call them a dark horse. They could come out on top in Region 6 playing on their home floor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you had asked me right now who the favorite is, I would say Barton. They'd definitely look good. But again, you know, Hutch is only a game and a half behind them right now. And they own the half game. So it's a um, long way to go still. A lot of tough games ahead for, for everybody at the top of the conference. But, you know, the you know, Anches' team is kind of taking the fun out of the conference race. But it, it, I'd say the men's race is going to go down to the very end, though. Yeah, that'll be that'll be fun to watch. We will keep updates on on them as we get closer um, to tournament time. We'll By the be- way, Ca- Casper, Wyoming is the uh, new women's uh, site. Casper, Wyoming. For some reason, Council Bluffs, I didn't think quite sounded right. Well, we had the C right at least. Yeah, well, that is way up north. Wow, okay. and that is starting this year. It is this year. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, still disappointed. I, I really thought we had some 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 good options here in Kansas for a central location, but uh, yeah, they never asked me. Uh, <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, the Sterling College teams, Brad, kind of a uh, well. I tell you what, this is going to be a nail biter for for both of them, whether they qualify for the postseason tournament. However, I think the the arrow pointing due north for the Sterling College women, Brad, they have really been battling here recently. They had that one-point loss at St. Mary last week, really had a chance to win that game. Then they blew out, boy, a Southwestern team, Brad, that's winless, Uh, 0-21. They blew them out Saturday. And then last night they they played hard at Tabor, who has got the – tiebreaker on St. Mary and they're only playing once but they're tied atop um we're in that game just again the the turnovers were only one different but Tabor is the type of turnovers they were kind of doomed them but um they're really playing hard Bailey Young the freshman out of Pretty Prairie um has posted several double doubles here recently we know um what Corinne Clayson and it, it's crazy Brad the way they're officiating these games right now Clayson is for a player of the year candidate, I've never seen somebody get beat up <laughs> the way she's get. I mean, every time she's in the lane, there is contact and sometimes significant. That's not getting whistled. And somehow she's still scoring 20 a game. It's just been amazing. But right now, after that loss, um, they are tied for eighth, which would be the final playoff spot with Avila. And you look at the upcoming games for them. Some big ones. You got some big ones, and York coming to town, an improved York team. That's that they're five and twelve in the conference, um, and then they go to Avila um, and next Wednesday, and then they're two Evangel. That's the only team that's in the upper echelon that they have left, um, and then they will finish with uh, Oklahoma Westland, who is one game behind them right now, which so is Bethel. Um, they get Oklahoma Westland at home, Bethel on the road. So um, their road into the tournament is right in front of them. If they can um, learn to, how to keep the turnovers down or how they commit the turnovers. And in three-point shooting, and it's not going to change this year, Brad, they just get outshot every night because they just don't have outside of Cali Breyer anybody that takes very many attempts. Alyssa Heskamp and Corinne Clayson hit a decent percentage. They just don't take a lot. So you have to do all those little things really well for this team to, to get the victories when other teams outshoot them from three. But um, you can see the progress, and um, it's going to be fun to watch to see if they can can sneak in there and, and, and get into the postseason. 
Yeah, it, it is. And uh, boy, and not only are these games big for Sterling, but I mean, they're big for their opponents too. I mean, these are, these are must win games for not only just them, but their opponents as well. I mean, they're not like playing, you know, Kansas Wesleyan, who's going to be in the, in the tournament or McPherson, who's not going to be in the tournament. They're playing teams that are battling for their postseason lives too. And I'm actually going to go out on a limb here and say these next two games are going to be the season for them. I think if they win these next two games, they'll be in good shape to at least make the postseason. I'm not sure they can afford to lose based on how the standings and the teams look around them. I don't know if they can afford to lose either either one of these next two games. Um, they could, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that the, the two remaining home games are must wins. They get York at home this Saturday and Oklahoma Westland coming up. Um, I think those are must wins. They have to have, um, those wins to get into the postseason. I mean, York's third to last, but they're only two games behind Sterling. Yes, I, 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 it's just it's jam packed right now, um, and I think Evangel is going to be a really tough one on the road. Um, I think they probably are going to have to have either or both at Avila or the Bethel game, which is boy, there could be a ton riding on that Bethel game, and that's the final of the regular season. But I, I think they may have to have one of those two for sure, plus the two home games to, to sneak in. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Th- three and two is probably going to be good enough. If, I, I would even go a little bit further and say three and two, if one of those losses is to Evangel, is probably going to be good enough to get them in. But you know what, Scott, though? I mean, the way they're playing right now, I don't see any reason why they can't go four and one. or You know, five and oh might be asking a little too much, but, I mean, they're, they're not far off, and they frankly haven't been that far off uh, probably since that loss to Oklahoma Wesleyan. They've been right there almost every single night, even the ones that they've lost. Yeah, they've had some, they had about three or four gut punches in a row. <laughs> Those close, close losses to good teams, friends on the road, Kansas Wesleyan at home, uh, Bethany at home. I mean, just, yeah, if, if I, I feel like they're going to sneak in, but again, yeah, we're going to, we're going to know a lot more after the next couple of games for them. On the flip side, Brad, boy, you talk about KU being a head scratcher, Brad. This SC men's team, um, you saw them. You had a game of theirs you did for me in the first semester. Um, and then after even the Oklahoma Wesleyan game where they just narrowly lost to number four in the country on the road, I thought, okay, they're they're figuring it out. And since then, Brad, the wheels have fallen off for this team. They're now 6-11, and 11, got beat handily at Tabor. Last night, they have fallen to a tie for 10th right now with York, who's coming to town on Saturday. Um, so they're right now, I said uh, 10th, so Bethel right now is in that tie for would be 7th and 8th at 8 and 9. So they're two games back of that, and it's a team that's just not shooting the ball well at all zero confidence you can kind of see it in their body language it's it's really a mystery it's a mystery to coach stang he's he's tried different combinations as far as starting lineups depending on you know the matchups but you can just see it and they're playing from behind so much they're having to press to try to make shots and it just kind of you know what happens when teams press too much they they tend to go the opposite way that you're wanting it to go and Boy, I don't know. I mean, Saturday is absolutely a must win, and some of these coming up are must wins. Certainly, I think I think they have to go. I would say at this point, four and one down the stretch to get in, and that that might not get it done. 
Yeah, that that that, that loss to Tabor, uh, you know, I, I I won't say was probably the season, but you know they win that game, and you know they're seven and ten and nipping at Bethel and St. Mary's heels right now, and they still have to play Bethel. Uh, just man, yeah, yeah, York is an absolute must win. They they win that, and you know maybe you think okay, the 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 I won't say they have righted the ship, but you know it, it it'll steady a little bit. I, you know, Scott, you see them every game. It, is are they just kind of crying out for someone to grab this team by the horns and just kind of say, hey, we're, you know, we're going to do it now. You know, leadership, I guess, maybe the word I'm looking for. I think that's part of it. Um, I don't know that that's all of it. You, you watch him play, Brad, and I, I should bring up, if I could get to it, I, I got it around here somewhere. Their, their assist total has been woefully low here recently. The ball just sticks. Um the motion isn't there, and when the ball sticks, you're having to do way too much one-on-one with the shot clock running down, and then you're kind of forcing shots up. They're just not getting them out of the flow of the offense either. Um, yeah, I, I do think leadership, I don't know, like you said, I don't know anybody. Mooch Austin would probably be the closest to to that. Mooch is more, but he's more soft-spoken, so yeah, I think maybe that's part of it as well, but it, it is a Boy, like I said, you watched him in the first semester, and you thought, this is a team that could be, you know, uh, pushing for top four this year. And, boy, it is. It's 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 a head-scratcher, a bit of a, a disappointment right now. Could they turn it around? Possibly, but it, it, it's got to happen now, like Saturday and now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens starting Wednesday. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not too late. I mean – there's still five games left against some teams that are around them in the standing. So it's not like that all is lost right now, but um, you know, they can't afford to be, you know, down, you know, if, if they go out Saturday and they have a five point lead at halftime, I think they're going to be in good shape. But it's also one of those games where I fear if York comes out, hits a couple early threes, kind of puts Sterling on their heels a little bit. I think it's just going to lead to uh, kind of a, here we go again mentality. Yeah, absolutely. You can see the confidence is just it, – it's just not there. And then, like I said, they spend so much time playing from behind. Um, it's been tough. But, again, those are going to be – for those of you who are loyal watchers or listeners, those are the early starts on Saturday, 2 and 4 o'clock. Um, so 145 is the pregame on 95.9. Well, let's jump into the high school a little bit, Brad. We've both seen quite a few – different teams here recently and i've talked to a couple of coaches so what what we know about uh you know the little river girls here um we think they're a head and shoulders the best team not maybe just in this area but in the state um in division uh one division one of one a on the girls side we both are really impressed with the sterling boys in class two a who else have you seen that you think could really make a run here as we're getting towards March when substates come about. The Halstead girls are the team that I've I've only seen them once, and it was in the championship game of the Haven Wildcat Classic. And we talked about this last week. You know, they beat a six A, a five A, and a four A team there, and they're a little three A rural school three uh, A, and they're thirteen and one right now against a pretty tough schedule. I mean, they're, they're, they're beating some good teams. And I've talked to Coach Derek Schutte. We've known Derek for several years now. We've done his games before. And if you – and kind of like with uh, the Lindsberg coach, 
don't talk to them, them them about the substate. They don't want to talk about it because it's just going to make their head hurt. It's going to make them, you know, ticked <laughs> off or whatever. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable, Scott. You know, I I, I think Halstead, whoever wins that substate is going to have a real chance of winning a state championship. And frankly, you can't say this about many substates. Yeah, there's some strong substates out there or some balanced substates. You can make a fair argument that six teams can win that Southeast of Sling Girls substate. Smoky Valley won the midseason Sterling tournament. They're ten and five and in sixth place right now. Mm-hmm. I I just had their game um, earlier. They're good. They're they, good. They beat Hoisington on the road, who had beat beaten them by three earlier in the season in, in Lindsburg. And Hoisington shows ten and six. I had them at ten and five after that loss. Anyhow, they're in second in a substate that they are hosting. And as you mentioned, right now Lindsburg would be tied with Southeast of Saline for fifth, which they would have the tiebreaker because they would have the head-to-head. Um, but, yeah, that is just mind-boggling. Halstead 13-1, and one, Osage City 15-2, and two. Heston, who Halstead just beat, 13-3, and three. Santa Fe Trail 12-3, and three. and then the two 10-5 teams. Uh, that's unreal. Um, I would agree. I think there is any of the top six could win that sub-state at Southeast of Saline. I just think it is that good. Yeah, I I feel got got to feel bad for those teams. I mean, heck, even Burlington six and nine—that's not a terrible record by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, with with Coach Shooty over at Halstead, you know they um, no one's had a tougher breaks, I guess you could say, in state tournament play than than Derek Shooty at Halstead. You know, first of all, they won their first ever state tournament game in 2020, and they're part of the Forever Four. They didn't get a chance to play in the semifinals, and the next year. They regionalized the first round of the state tournament. You remember that? Yes. They weren't at the neutral site, so they were regionalized. All they had to do is go play as Cheney, and they lost in double overtime to a Cheney team that would eventually win the state championship. So, you know, we, we obviously see a lot of teams, and, you know, we're certainly not going to be disappointed if someone like Smoky Valley makes it to state or if, uh, you know, if Matt Richardson gets his Heston girls there. You know, we, we've known both those schools, and, you know, we've loved watching and covering those schools. But, you know, I, if, if anybody deserves to make it back to states and make a run at it, uh, it's that Halstead girls team and coach Derek Shooty. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see them win that sub-state, certainly. And they'll have, they'll have a great chance. But, again, they're going to have to they're going to have to win two really tough games um, on a neutral site, which, that again, is at southeast of Saline. Uh, another interesting one, Brad, because I got to talk to their head coach is the uh, Elyria Christian boys. We all know Zach Goodrich, um, assistant coach with the Tabor women and the head boys coach there at Elyria Christian, former Sterling Warrior. They are 16-1. and one. I talked to him last night, and he said, don't, don't roll your eyes at Lebo's 11-6 and six record. He said they have played a really tough schedule, and they host – that substate, um, he feels like that is a huge game. If he said, if we can get Lebo and get to state, he he has a lot of confidence that they could do very well at state. But he said that Lebo game, you got to get to it. Of course, that's one of those that has six teams, so you're going to get a buy um, in that substate. But he he feels like that Lebo game on their home floor that that's going to be a huge ball game if, if that's indeed how it breaks down and it, it looks like it probably will and central christian in there that could be interesting they could match up with Elyria christian that would be a good ball game but that that's that 
that could be really interesting for the Elyria Christian boys. Yeah, we we got, we both know Coach Goodrich. I mean, <laughs> you want to talk about just a genuine dude? I mean, I could sit there and talk to that guy all night. You know, I've I've, I've refereed soccer games up at Elyria before. Uh, they cater Subway for us. I mean, you know, Elyria is just outside town, and they still make sure that they uh, bring in Subway sandwiches, not not generic. So I'm talking actual Subway. You know, the the company Subway. They they cater su- sandwiches for us. So. Uh, such, such, such a great guy. I, I really like Zach Goodrich, but you're absolutely right. Watch out for Central Christian. They've already played Illyria twice, and don't forget they added the phrase kit at, over the holidays, so the, they'll be a little bit different team if they would match up, and right now it's looking like that would be a semifinal matchup, so uh, I, I know that Goodrich won't be uh, you know throwing confetti around if they get Central Christian again. The girls' side, pretty tough. Lebo looks like they're the top team. They're 16-1. and one. Central Christians 13 and 4, Elyria Christians 12 and 5. So um, that side will be pretty fun as well. I wanted to look at 2A, Brad. I got to refresh my memory where most of our teams are Every, everywhere in 2A. They're all split up this year. And the, the Marion one probably has more of our area teams as we look at that. Um, the Hillsborough girls, 14 and one. Then you got a log jam kind of in the middle. Uh, Breen Academy, Mound Ridge, both 11 and three. Chase County, 11 and five. Inman, 10 and five. Um, do you certainly feel like Hillsborough, who their lone loss, we talked about how good Smoky Valley is. That's who got them. Well, Smoky Valley, um, do you feel like that is Hillsborough's substate to lose? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. But uh, watch out for Mound Ridge. I think that, you know, they're still kind of young, I think. But um, that's still a pretty darn good Mound Ridge team. Their only losses this year have been to the aforementioned Hillsborough, Little River, and Inman. So no real bad losses in there for Mount, for Mound Ridge. And, again, they're young. And, boy, I've heard that they got some absolute studs coming up in through middle school. So if you're, you're going to beat Mound Ridge, you may want to do it now. Yeah, um, and same thing on the boys' side. Mound Ridge and El Saline are twelve and two. Chase County's ten and six. So I think uh, both Mound Ridge teams um, have a good chance there. Of course, the Sterling teams are out in Mead, and right now, um, you know, Brad, that's a good. You look at that sub-state right now. As I'm looking at it, let me make sure. Two, four, six. There's eight teams in there. You know what the worst record in Sterling Boys Substate is out at Mead? Yeah, it's eight and eight. Eight and eight. <laughs> eight and eight. And below Sterling, Medicine Lodge, I know they went on the road and thumped them back in the heart of America, CPL challenge. But Medicine Lodge is 13 and three. Mead's 12 and three. Syracuse is 12 and four. Stanton County's 12 and five. Even Ellenwood in there is nine and seven. They've got some athletes still on that Ellenwood team. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm not still picking Sterling to win that, but there could be a tricky game or two in there for them. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely could. Uh, I mean, would you want to play Mead for a sub-state championship in their home gym? I mean, that 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 will be easy if that would uh, come to pass for for Sterling. Uh, you know, like you said, they've already gone to Medicine Lodge and won by about, I think, 13. I, I just don't know how strong the western part of the state is in some areas. You know, is Syracuse at twelve and four? I, I just don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not questioning actually how good they are. I'm. I'm just questioning. I, I just don't know how strong uh, the teams are out there. So uh, they they could be really strong. We you know we never see them. So it's just it's it's hard to know. 
but generally speaking, uh, the the southwest corner of the state isn't quite as strong as maybe the records indicate. Yeah, it, yeah, you never know because the the schedules you play uh, much different competition, but that that'll be fun to watch. Um, Class four A certainly it looks like on the west side of the bracket, McPherson uh, is going to be the team to beat there. They're they're currently their boys. Um, are undefeated at 15 and 0. Let me bring up the girls' standings real quick, like here. And on the west side of the bracket, there's McPherson um, right now in second behind 14 and 1 Wellington. Um, the Bueller teams both kind of in the middle of the pack right now. So, do you feel like you could see both bullpup teams to state this year? I don't think there's any reason to assume otherwise. I mean, McPherson boys are ranked number one. Um, they, they've had some, they've had a couple of pretty tough games uh, that kind of went down. I know Hayes pushed them the other day. So, but there's no reason to think that McPherson boys, at least, they're they're not just the favorite to get to state, but probably the favorite to win state. Yeah, they both very very good. Um, they're in class four A, but it, I know I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm ready to get to. Um, sub-states and, and, and get things going. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. we got a lot of area teams that are going to be fun to watch and see if they can advance. Back on 3A just one time, do you think the Haven girls can go out if they do indeed meet up with Hoisington on their home floor? you think Haven can win that ball game? Just played them tonight in Haven, um, one by 12. And uh, some big news also for Haven. Sadie Essel was released to play. Okay, I knew that they said they were hoping maybe uh, a week or two before substates was kind of made, you know, and this was clear back a month or two ago. Uh, they, they were kind of the date they were shooting for. But, yeah, that would what a huge um, addition that would be. Um, she's not as big a scoring threat, but you talk about defense and rebounding. Wow. And depth. And depth, yeah. that. Yeah, I don't think the Haven girls are blessed with a lot of depth. And, I, again, they played Hoisington tonight and won. I don't know if Sadie played or not. Uh, she got a full medical release, though, so it's possible she went out and had a cameo, for all I know. I'll see them tomorrow night against Smoky Valley. What a game that'll be. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when you throw in a, an athlete like Sadie Estel in, into that team, I mean, you're not going to ask her to go out and score 10 to 15 points. You're going to ask her to, you know, Honestly, Scott, you're probably asking her to play eight to ten minutes right now, grab some rebounds, play some defense, swat some shots, move the ball on offense, and anything you can score is just a bonus for them. Yeah, and the thing with her, if you're if you're thinking it's going to come down to them and Hoisington, Hoisington has got a lot of size and length. They've got several girls that are 5'10", 5'11", that can stretch the floor, that can shoot the three, and then Estel just gives Haven one more defender to match up with that size. Um, and obviously they did a good job of it tonight. Um, and if De- can, can guard a big, she's a good rebounder. Um, well, I'd, I'd sign up to see that game. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the two. That would be a fun ball game. We well, may get the chance. Who knows? <laughs> Very well may get the chance, but again, uh, we're just, uh, most teams right now have about, um, five games, four games left. Some are still getting makeup games in this week. Um, before we get to uh, sub states, well, Brad, interesting uh, things always 
happen in sports. You know, we cover a lot of the smaller schools and everything, but this is pretty incredible. Um, we, we talked a lot about Tanner Heckel. Of course, you and I, we got to watch him a lot at Inman. And then, of course, this his senior year. He, he has won a state title in eight-man division one football. Well, you, you texted me the other day when you saw this news, and now it's been out on Facebook and everything. He's, he's signed to play football at the University of Illinois, big division one school there in the Big Ten. And then I saw, Brad, and again, this is an eight-man division one team. They have four players they're going to be playing a major college football and what i call major college let me run through that we know tanner's going to illinois on the offensive line defensive line caden massey is going to k-state uh jalen massey is uh going to washburn ncaa division two and then caston worth is going to butler who traditionally has one of the um better sometimes best program um certainly in in region six football and in, in juco program brad that would be a great total for a three or four a school <laughs> to have four kids going to that quality of football at that level and those schools and linden's got four of them yeah and you know we've we've actually uh you know we, we've known tanner's family and a uh, good kid and all that and um we're i'm really excited for man they, they play the jayhawks next year so uh, definitely we'll be keeping an eye on that, but yeah, to, for a town like Linden to send four guys, like you said, uh, to college football programs, not just kind of any college football programs. I mean, two, two power fives, you know, maybe the best division two conference in the country and maybe the best Juco conference in the country. And oh, by the way, since we're on the subject, Brad, of uh, Tanner Heckle, do you know what the Linden high school boys record is right now? I think they're undefeated, aren't they? Uh, 16 and 0. <laughs> so you're saying uh, a potential uh, matchup with Sterling would be a lot of fun. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Sign, sign me up. Oh, and, hey, and wait, you can't take all these games. Come on now. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> and, and while we're on that as well, there is some different locations this year um, for state tournaments. Let me bring that up. I know it's two A is not in Manhattan this year. Um, let me get those up for people that um, are used to going that direction in your, your bigger place is still the same, WSU for 6A, um, Emporia, White Auditorium for 5A, and Tony's Pizza for 4A, Hutch for 3A. But here's where the change is. Uh, 2A is now at um, United Wireless in Dodge. Uh, Class 1A Division One is now at Colby this year at the Colby Event Center. And then your Division Two is back at Barton County. But yeah, if that was... If you were wanting to see that potential matchup, you'd have to go out to United Wireless. I have not been there. I, I have heard people rave about that facility. That that would be a fun one. But yeah, could could you see Tanner Heckel winning football and basketball? And then we know what he's capable of in track and field. Could you see him? Could he legitimately win state titles in three different sports this year? Well, sure. I mean, yeah, is is the short answer. I mean, you know. I don't, I, I don't know how deep one A is. I think, oh gosh, who is it right now? That's a one A. I, I think it's Axtell 
that's uh, just like a loaded 1A track program. I think they dominated it last year. But you know as well as I do that actually they're 2A. So uh, that's that's what the, that's what he was last year. So never mind on that. But um, yeah, I mean, if, you know, Tanner Heckle goes out and wins himself, uh, you know, two individual gold medals, maybe a bronze, and then throwing a relay in there. Uh, I'm not sure if he does relays. We'll have to wait to see what he does. I know uh, he does long jump. I think he's a sprinter. So who, you know, we'll see what he does. But um, yeah, you you could see uh, you could see you know one of the greatest senior seasons that you know I, that I can recall anyway. Yeah, that that's just insane to think about it. But it, it it I don't know where I put my betting odds on it, but boy, I tell you that I think that he's got a great chance to do it. And I say he's already got a um, a third of the way. He's got the football, and now he's looking for basketball and track and field. So that's kind of the look at the uh, sub states around for high school basketball. Again, I'm I'm pumped. I'm I'm ready for the postseason. Always am. It's the best basketball around. Well, that's the gist of our regular topics this week. So we'll move on to your final thoughts. Well, every now and then, Scott, I kind of get on my soapbox and just kind of uh, shout from the rooftops about some things. But um, I kind of want to do that again tonight. And I've kind of note, you know, uh, as Ad Astra has expanded, you know, you and I have both have kind of uh, been to more schools, uh, seen more teams and whatnot. And um I know that in the in the current media landscape that we live in, you know, first of all, we don't want to um, we don't want to get up on in the morning anymore and read the newspaper. Uh, that that breaks my heart to say, but it's 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 realistic too. I, I I'm not naive to think that that's still a thing or anything like that. But in the current media landscape, if we can't get to a high school or small college game, we usually will try to find a stream of some sorts. Now. You and I both know sometimes the stream is not always the best. And if you're lucky, you may not, or if, if you're, if you may get audio, I guess is what I'm trying to say, or you may not get audio. That's kind of where I want to bring back local radio. I think local radio is one of the best mediums uh, around still. Uh, again, I, I know that you and I both work in radio. It's near and dear to our hearts, but um Folks, if you can't get out to a game, again, I know you want to watch a game. Uh, you want to watch the stream. And that's fine. I, I don't want to discourage you from doing that. But, uh, you know, some of these, when you get to stage, you're, you're going to have to pay a fee, NFHS or whatever. You don't have to pay to listen to Ad Astra radio streams. Uh, just download the app, listen to it on the radio, fire up your computer. You know, we're going to have so many games taken care of, so many sub-states, so many state games taken care of that, you know, there, you can't go wrong with local radio, folks. It is one of the true great forms of media still out there, especially for high school sports and especially for small college sports. Again, I know we all want to watch the stream. I'm no different. You know, my kids play high school sports. My daughter Josie plays uh, in the KCAC. I am going to be watching the stream every time. But um, again, if you have the opportunity to at least. If you want to watch, sync up the radio too. You know, I think that uh, again, Ad Astra covers about as many games as anybody. We got a great professional team out there. Uh, support your ra- your local radio stations because um, it, it it is truly remarkable how in all the media landscape changes that we've seen with sports, especially how radio, just good old fashioned radio, Scott, continues mm-hmm. to do as well as it has been. Oh, I'm with you there because I, I hear people sometimes will complain about, you know, oh, the stream wasn't very good. I, I couldn't make out. You know, I, I grew up with 
dad on the back porch and a little transistor radio listening to uh, Fred Matthews or Fred White and Denny Matthews um, call the Royals games in the 70s and early 80s in the George Brett um, heyday. Um, I would much rather listen to a really good broadcast than to watch a so-so um, stream. It, it, it's just me. But those are definitely out there. Again, we provide those for you um, all year round. So it's, it's, it's available. I love it. There's nothing better than somebody that can just describe the landscape to you, what's happening um, out there. And, and I heard it from, uh, um, I'm going to forget his name, Randy Gehring, longtime radio um, voice over in the Great Bend area. It's called a lot of high school sports. He got the Oscar Stauffer. Uh, broadcasting award one year and he he said don't ever think that what we do isn't important because he had a a gentleman i think that was at home and couldn't get to the games because of uh i don't know if he it was sick with a cancer or um, his mobility uh, didn't enable him to get out to the games but a grand a grandson i believe was playing on a team and he he told randy once he said i could see the game through your call so um, that's why we do it. We want to bring those games to you. And I, I'm 100% with you. Don't ever um, discount radio as, as a great option to, to take in these games. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, newspapers always be near and dear to my heart. And, um, you know, when I worked at the Hutchinson News and Garden City Telegram, there was nothing like on a Saturday morning getting up looking at the paper, reading my story, and see, and frankly, seeing everybody else's stories, too, reading about what happened on Friday night for high school athletics. Um, but, uh, you know, those, <laughs> those days are pretty much gone, man, and it really saddens me to say that. But, uh, you know, radio is still doing well, and, and, you know, I think one of the good things about the modern media landscape is we archive a lot of our games at, at AstroRadio.com. So if you went to the game, you liked what you saw, you know what, go back and listen to it. Absolutely. Those are definitely available well brad i wanted to go somewhere i just saw this article today i know this one would be also near and dear to your heart as a as a ku guy but a lot of people will remember uh, scott pollard uh, yep. former jayhawk former um nba player i think he played 10 12 years um in the nba he was a, a much beloved player while he was at ku he has been um admitted to the um Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee, is he has a heart condition that has deteriorated to the point that he needs a heart transplant, which is made much more difficult by his size. He's almost seven foot. He is playing weight. Uh, was two hundred and sixty pounds. So so many donors um, are ruled out because of his size. Um, the heart wouldn't be literally big enough for him to provide the blood and everything and the circulation that he needs. Um, this condition, reading up on it, is a genetic condition. He thinks that was triggered by a virus he contracted in 2021. Um, it's been beating an extra 10,000 times per day. And half of his siblings have the same condition. His father also had it, and he died when he was 54. Um, and let me, I got to refresh my memory how old Scott Pollard is right now. It's not like 46, maybe 48, not telling me in this article, unfortunately. I don't think he's even 50 yet. I do, I, I think you're correct. Um, he's 
he said he knew it was an immediate wake-up call, but he's also known that he, he said you don't see a lot of old seven-footers walking around. So he knew that, you know, it was a, as a possibility. He's got it got a great outlook on it, but he says he's staying at the hospital um, until this happens. And you know, it just it really just it's a it's always a wake-up call when you see somebody that was really you know in the he was in the prime of his career. He was a fantastic, well-conditioned athlete that's now um fighting fighting for his life yeah here it is 48 years old um and it just it just gives you kind of that wake-up call and I, I hope there will be and unfortunately to, to have a donor that means somebody's um life has to tragically end we all know that i have the um donor card checked on my license um there are so many people out there that are willing to give somebody life if theirs is is taken suddenly so um it's always something hard to wish for you, but you, you hope the best for him. You hope that he'll be able to um, be, be blessed with that opportunity to, to, to further his life. Um, but just all that. And it, it is, it's just kind of a wake up call that um, life's short and, and enjoy it and, and take advantage of it while you're here. <laughs> well, as corny as it may sound, there's a great line in the Rocky sequel, Rocky Balboa, where Rocky kind of going through some nostalgia says that at some point life stops giving and starts taking mm -hmm. and being 47, you know, there's nothing more true than that. Uh, I mean, I, life doesn't give me very much these days. Uh, fortunately, it's not really taking anything from me right now to knock on wood, but um, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a precious thing. It's a fragile thing. Uh, you know, if uh, we, we all know that it can be taken from us in an, in an instant, but that doesn't mean you should stop, you know, appreciating what you have. And, and like you said, Scott, if you're not a, um, an organ donor, I mean, I, I joke about this, but I mean, I'm not going to need them if I'm dead. So yeah, take them, save someone else's life. I mean, I don't care. Absolutely. And, uh, on the subject Apollo Creed was also taken from us here in the last week. Uh, a lot of yeah. people, Carl Weathers, I think he was just 74. Um, probably one of the best bad guys i've ever seen in a movie as the apollo creed in in rock in the first rocky and, yeah. and the, really the second one he was he was fantastic in that role you know why he was so like you know why he was such a villain because he was likable he was i mean that's i mean we we all hated clubber lang we all hated yvonne drago but you know what apollo creed was actually in the first couple yeah he was a villain but he was actually kind of likable too he, he was, and, and I, I really liked him and other things that I saw him and always stayed in, in, in great shape. And yeah, he, he was, he was gone just a, a few days back at age 74. So, um, that just, uh, that hit me as you said that uh, to the Rocky movie as well, but as always, we'll be back next week. We'll be breaking down, hopefully a chief's victory in the Super Bowl. how the Jayhawks did and all of the sports we normally cover, but for tonight's view from the press box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.